Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today on the podcast, we are celebrating Grandparents Day, which is happening on September 7th. And we're focusing in the first half of the podcast on grandmothers and particularly how grandmothers, at least according to one evolutionary theory, are to thank for kind of everything. (laughs) That's right. Grandmothers are responsible for their being people, which makes sense. But they're also responsible for people living longer, being healthier, having bigger brains and also Eating chocolate chip cookies. That's right. Aw, my grandmother's never made me chocolate chip cookies. My grandmother, may she rest in peace, used to make me and my siblings what she called cowboy cookies, which are basically oatmeal cookies with chocolate chips in them. And I have the recipe, but they still don't taste like the ones mm-hmm. that she made. Because they're not infused with grandma love. I know, I know. But... <laughs> I digress. Let's get out of out of my nostalgic kitchen and my brain and get down to the grandmother hypothesis because this is super fascinating and g- will give I hope all listeners a newfound appreciation for this role. That's right. And so if we're going to look at evolutionary theories and how grandmothers are basically responsible for all of humanity surviving and succeeding in life, when you look at animals, Female animals typically don't live past their reproductive years by much. Among humans, however, we have grandmas, and they outlive their reproductive years by a couple of decades. And so um, evolutionary theorists and researchers have looked into this and found that grandmothers have really played a critical role in the evolution of our human longevity. Yeah, because it really doesn't make all that much sense that women go through menopause and then hang out because you know grandfathers exist uh, in quotes because they can keep reproducing ad infinitum right <laughs> <laughs> whereas you know, after you would think according to evolutionary theory once women have hit their reproductive peak and then gotten a whole series of hot flashes and all of these that go along with that that we would soon thereafter die off but no So if you go back to 1957, there is this evolutionary biologist named George Williams who proposes something called the stopping early hypothesis. And his idea was that middle-aged women needed baby free time in order to usher their younger children into adulthood. Right. And so this is a theory that's definitely focusing on the children, not the grandchildren in particular. And then Williams in the 1980s is followed by American anthropologist Kristen Hawkes, who had a slightly different explanation for why women stick around after menopause. She was actually inspired by the Hazda culture of Tanzania. She noticed that older women spent their days collecting tubers and other food for their grandkids. But in doing so, they were working harder and longer than the younger women, and they collected way more food than necessary. So what is the deal? Why were they doing this? So she took her notes and ended up studying other modern hunter-gatherer societies in places like Tanzania, Venezuela, and eastern Paraguay. 
And she measured the muscle strength of men and women in these communities and weighed well, basically the loads of food and resources that they were carrying. Found out that women in their 60s were just as strong as women in their 20s. She also noted, which is very key, that the children with grandmothers or great aunts had faster growth rates than their counterparts, the kids who didn't. And so the theory shifts from, hey, women stick around to usher their children into adulthood to, oh, look at this. These these older ladies are sticking around to help their grandchildren succeed. They are super strong and they are carrying just armloads of tubers. That's right. They're bench pressing tubers over their heads. <laughs> Giant tuba. Yes. And so based off these observations in these modern hunter-gatherer societies, Hawks develops what is known as the grandmother hypothesis, which maintains that menopause exists in order to divert older women's energy and resources into caring for not only her kids, but also her grandkids, thereby providing her descendants with a survival advantage. Right. And so in looking at these cultures and in looking way, way back in ancient societies, et cetera, et cetera, grandmothers, by helping out around the house or hut, were basically freeing up their daughters to have more children quickly, as opposed to if you look at chimpanzees who wait about five years to have more offspring. And so that means that you have the most evolutionarily fit grandmothers having the most grandchildren and therefore passing on the longevity genes. Evolution. Drop the mic. And on top of passing on those longevity genes and, of course, gathering all those tubers. So many tubers. Yes. uh, Hawks has written that grandmothering gave us, quote, a whole array of social capacities that are the foundation for the evolution of other distinctly human traits, including pair bonding, bigger brains, learning new skills, and our tendency for cooperation. Well, thank you, grandmother. Thank you so much. That's right. I mean, so basically, if you look back at like our ape ancestors, you know, there was a point when certain apes with larger brains started going off and getting tools and using tools and going farther for resources and food. And so those big brained grandmas had to stick around and help their big brained grand grand apes, I guess. Yeah, grand apes. Uh, grow up happy and healthy and eating all those tubers. Now, not everybody is on board with the grandmother hypothesis because that would mean that science is too easy. <laughs> Uh, there's plenty of people who have said, I don't know, because with the grandmother hypothesis, you're discounting the impact in these hunter-gatherer societies of men going out and hunting and bringing back this important uh, energy load to the families as well. So there was a paper, particularly uh, in 2010, that came out called Grandmothering and Natural Selection, uh, which basically said that the grandmother hypothesis is too weak of a force to really explain longevity. But then Hawks went back to the drawing board and created a mathematical model to test the hypothesis. Right. And she used a hypothetical primate-like population um, showing the advantages of, quote, even a little bit of grandmothering. Even just half of a cowboy cookie, Aww. in my case. Yeah, so even just a quarter, a crumb of that cookie increased longevity into from ape-like longevity into the human range of about how long 
we live now. And so that ended up doubling in this model, the human lifespan. Oh, and there's a fascinating side note to this theory, because it also applies to whales, which are another exception in terms of species that live past menopause. And this was something uncovered by evolutionary biologist at the University of Cambridge, Rufus Johnson, who said they're the only other mammal apart from us where females have a comparable post-reproductive lifespan. What up, whales? <laughs> That's right. Uh, and speaking of mathematical models, Johnson and uh, Dr. Michael Kant at the University of Exeter developed a model to study the kinship dynamics that exist in orcas, short-finned pilot whales, uh, and humans. We don't have fins, but we we fit into the same model. And these guys found that as the post-menopausal females in all of these species aged, they actually ended up developing closer ties to infants. And so they wrote, our analysis can help explain why of all long-lived social mammals, it is specifically among great apes, and toothed whales, and I guess people too, that menopause and post-reproductive helping have evolved. Whales are just like us. <laughs> Who knew? So while the grandmother hypothesis is certainly intriguing evolutionary food for thought, is there a modern-day application to it? Uh, gerontologist Linda Freed, who is the dean of Columbia University School of Public Health, told the New Republic that... Yeah, there could be a modern day application to this because, as she said, older adults constitute the only increasing natural resource in the entire world. So what if we symbolically, (laughs) metaphorically, figuratively sent our grandmothers out collecting tubers (sighs) in our modern in our modern society? Yeah, so to speak. Well, she looked at it in terms of school. Freed actually started a program that put retirees in at-risk public schools in 19 cities and found that kids who had retirees in their classrooms actually did a lot better. And maybe this is because the retirees are helping teachers or they're keeping kids in line. But significantly also for the elderly participants in this program, they actually did a lot better themselves, too. They performed better on health tests, happiness tests, probably because they felt useful. I know that my dad's dad, after he retired, did not do so well anymore. He got actually really depressed because he had been the family man, the provider, the working man, you know, had a great career. And once he retired, he just kind of felt shoved to the side. Sure. Uh, well, and if we look more at the developing world, there have been studies finding that it's the grandmothers in particular who tend to benefit their families financially. So uh, Freed offered the example of when older black people in South Africa first began receiving pensions from the post-apartheid government, the grandchildren who were living with grandmothers, and particularly their granddaughters, grew taller and <laughs> gained more weight, which essentially was a sign that they were getting healthier because the grandmothers were allocating more of that pension back into their households. Right. But interestingly, when it was the grandfathers who received the pensions, the grandkids did not grow at all. And I thought this whole concept sounded familiar uh, in terms of like microloan programs in Africa and other regions of the world where it shows that when women receive these loans, they 
are the money is spent kind of more wisely. Yeah. Well, and this also harkens back to Kristen Hawk's initial research in the 80s, looking at you know the Hazda culture of Tanzania and other places where those grandmothers who were living you know with uh, and helping out with their grandchildren, the grandkids had those faster growth rates. Mm-hmm. So there is something powerful about grandmothers. And this is, of course, nothing against grandfathers, but it is something incredible about grandmothers. And so we should definitely take a look. Speaking of grandpas as well, we should take a look at what being a grandmother or grandfather entails today in terms of numbers. And are they happy? We have to find this out. And we'll talk about it when we get right back from a quick break. to being a grandmother, a grandfather in the U.S. in particular today, because that's where a lot of these statistics are going to come from, it's becoming more and more common for that to involve caring for your grandchildren and not just having the grandkids dropped off for a few weeks during the summer, perhaps, in fact, the grandkids living with you full-time. Because, in fact, as of census data from 2011, 7 million grandparents in the U.S. had grandchildren under 18 living with them. And nearly half of those grandkids were under the age of 6, which that is, talk about a full-time child care load. Right, but if you look at the 7 million grandparents who have grandkids under 18 living with them... 2.7 million were responsible for the basic needs of one or more grandkids under 18. And so that means that they are custodial grandparents. They're raising the grandkids. And in terms of the grandmother-grandfather split in that, uh, you do tend to have more grandmothers, possibly because, as we know, men do tend to die at earlier ages than women. But uh, 1.7 million of that 2.7 million we just mentioned were grandmothers and 1 million were grandfathers. Right. And when you put these numbers in context, what they're telling us is that more grandparents are raising their grandkids in the United States. In fact, over the past 40 years, the share of U.S. children living in a grandparent's household has more than doubled from 3% in 1970 to 7% in 2010. And if you look at the more recent rise of grandkids living with grandparents, a lot of people pinpoint it as a side effect of the Great Recession, because a lot of times when you have that kind of custodial situation, it's due to the fact that the child's parents can't afford to take care of them in their house, or they might be dealing with situations such as uh, drug addictions, or they might be incarcerated. They might also be uh, deployed uh, in a military capacity. There are all sorts of reasons for that to happen, but uh, financial reasons often come up again and again. Yeah, and if you look at uh, those reasons for these cohabitating living situations specifically, there was a September 2011 national survey by the nonprofit Generations United that looked at living situations that involve the parents being there too, so it's a multi-generational household versus when the grandparents are the custodians of the children. And they found that the reasons for a multi-generational living situation when the parents are there too 
that typically involves unemployment or underemployment, health care costs, and home foreclosure. So you're moving in together to save resources. But when the grandparents are the sole caregivers for the grandkids, that tends to, according to the survey, come about because of the grandchild's parents' substance abuse, but also things like incarceration, death, mental illness, or child neglect. These kids are also more likely to have a disability, be teenagers, and have family income below the poverty line. So a lot of potential family hardships that could lead to maybe a parent not being able to appropriately care for a child and having to get the grandparents' help. Well, and to add to that, because a lot of times when grandparents are, you know, the sole custodians of their grandchildren, it's due to not so favorable circumstances. And adding to that is uh, the fact that the median family income in families where the grandparent is responsible for children under 18 when the parents are not present, when you're not in that multi-generational household setup, the median income is only 33627 So there's usually a big financial strain within the household as well. And there's been a lot of research, too, on the ethnic and community breakdowns of who is likelier to have grandchildren living with grandparents and particularly grandmothers, because, again, grandkids are likelier to live with grandmothers. Um, and there was a 2010 research project looking at stats in the U.S., which found that black and Hispanic grandmothers are more likely than white grandmothers to live with grandchildren. And black grandmothers are more likely than Hispanic grandmothers to be the primary caregivers. So there's a lot of nuance, though, even in just that sentence, because grandmothers living with grandchildren could denote all sorts of things like a grandmother not able to fully care for herself living mm-hmm. with her you know, children or maybe it's a situation where there is someone who's incarcerated or dealing with a substance abuse problem. And so that grandmother has sole custody. Right. And as far as the effects on kids and grandparents in these custodial grandparent situations, uh, this is coming from the National Institute of Mental Health. They found that custodial grandchildren have higher levels of emotional and behavioral problems than children in the overall U.S. population. But I mean, I would think that, you know, we just talked about a lot of the scary reasons that a grandchild could live with a grandparent. And so, you know, it. I don't know the correlation and causation relationship here exactly, but it seems like if you've had something terrible happen in your family that has led you to live with a grandparent instead of just like, oh, I want in-state tuition at college. So, you know, like things- I want cowboy cookies every day. Right. So it seems like these kids might have emotional turmoil in their lives regardless, just because of the difficult circumstances that led to the living situation. Yeah, they probably didn't go there by choice. And Gregory C. Smith from Kent State University is someone who's looked into this. And he found that when it comes to the grandmother-grandchild relationship, boys do tend to present many more difficulties than girls. And he thinks that it might be because boys are likelier to have externalizing behavior problems. So, you know, it's it's sort of self-explanatory. Their emotional and behavioral difficulties are expressed outwardly in the form of acting up or talking back or not being nice to your grandma. Exactly. And so she'll probably withhold the cookies. Whereas with girls, uh, Smith says that they're likelier to have internalizing 
problems where they channel those difficulties into anxiety, fear, depression. So it's the other side of the same coin, really. And also when it comes to younger children between ages two and six, Laura Pittman, who's a researcher at Northern Illinois University, found that they did lag behind their peers in developing academic skills. Right. But they found that for preschoolers in particular, having a caring adult who attends to their needs can help avert problem behaviors in addition to anxiety and depression. And that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, we also have to give credit to these custodial grandparents, too, who, um, according to uh, that a 2010 research project I mentioned a minute ago, which found that, uh, in particular, African-American grandparents are likelier to impart religious and spiritual beliefs and also discuss what they term uncomfortable issues, such as drugs, peer pressure, sex with their grandchildren, in other words, to help them navigate through daily challenges. And they were also likelier to report that they spend money on their grandchildren to help with everyday living expenses. So they're, in other words, they're doing everything that they can to help these kids. Right. And that can lead to a lot of strain on these custodial grandparents. I mean, there are so many good things about having a close relationship with your grandparent uh, as a grandchild, but... Um, there's a lot of strain that can come out of that as well. Uh, Smith, the researcher, uh, looked at things like strained relationships with birth parents, social stigma, financial pressure, and their own increasing age-related health concerns. So, I mean, they don't stop having to worry about their own lives just because they're caring for these grandkids, but often I think Smith was talking about how easy it is to sort of overlook your own problems when you have to, when you have a kid to take care of. And Smith also talked about studies showing that a caregiver, in this case a grandparent, and even moderate distress can have an impact on a child's adjustment. So a kid who might already be having emotional problems, behavior problems, if grandma is super stressed out about your issues, that's going to make yours even worse. So there's like a spiral of bad, negative things that can happen. Well, and there was an article in the Chicago Tribune not too long about the health impacts on these full-time, you know, grandparents parenting their grandchildren and talked about how they tend to have higher rates of depression, higher rates of uh, higher blood pressure and other health issues that come up simply because they are so focused on being a caregiver. They aren't necessarily taking as good of care of themselves as they might need to. And this also, Caroline, reminds me of our episode a while back on child caregivers. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that that relationship can come up as well, where you have a grandparent who might be caring for a child, but also a child caring for that grandparent if he or Mm -hmm. she has any sort of health problem, disability um, things like that. So there are a lot of different dynamics within these relationships. And that issue of stigma, too, that comes up uh, is one that is particularly troubling because, you know, it, it's we, we tend to, uh, you know, grandparents tend to hold this laudable position in our society. They're very revered or mm-hmm. hopefully we would hope that they are revered. Um, but it seems like At least in the U.S., if a child is living full time with a grandparent, it's usually it's not frowned upon. It's not the right word, but it's like a signal that, oh, something something's not exactly as it should be. Right. Rather than 
I don't know, maybe providing more resources to those grandparents and grandchildren. Well, yeah. And I mean, we'll get more into this in a, in a second, but I mean, it's just not in our culture anymore to, to have multi-generational households, to have grandparents living with us. I think that is changing a little bit because of things like the Great Recession a couple of years ago. I think, uh, more people are culturally starting to have those multi-generational households that aren't coming from a place of just like, I can't take care of my children. I need to give them to my parents. But, um, but anyway, it's not all, terrible. There is stigma. There are health issues to worry about and mental and emotional strain to worry about. But it's not all terrible. There was a 2007 study in the Journal of Social Issues that found that greater cohesion with grandparents actually decreased depressive symptoms, particularly among grandchildren raised in single parent families. And that's not necessarily a cohabitating situation. That could just simply be you are a grandchild and have grandparents. But They found that it was key having those extra supports in your life. However, the study found that that cohesive grandparent relationship reduced depressive symptoms more in the presence of stronger ties to parents. So those are two keys. Basically, if you have a strong family, you're not going to be as depressed. And grandparents are a key part of that. Yeah, that makes total sense. And along those same lines, there was a study that came out in Children and Youth Services Review in 2009, which highlighted frequent contact, greater grandparent involvement, and better parent-grandparent relationships as being key to kids' reports on higher levels of emotional closeness to, the importance of, and respect for their closest grandparents' views. Yeah, so I mean, I would think... Absolutely. If you are in a family where the elderly members of that family, the grandparents or great aunts or whoever, if they're valued, then that would make you value other people outside your family, too. I feel like I I feel like a lot of times elderly people in our culture are just like, meh. Yeah. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. But leave leave me some cookies. Um, there is one place, though, that stood out in contrast to a lot of what we were reading about grandparent custodial situations in the U.S., and that is in China. And in a past podcast episode, we did talk about how... Um, Parenting models in China, obviously different from American models of parenting, but there's a lot of reverence Mm -hmm. for your elders in Chinese society. And as part of that, if you look at China, grandparents are far more ingrained in the family unit to begin with, and particularly grandmothers as child caregivers. Yeah, and this is coming from a really interesting article in The Atlantic um, that talked about how, according to the Shanghai Municipal Population and Family Planning Commission, 90% of Shanghai's young kids are being looked after by at least one grandparent, and half of those grandparents provide exclusive care, and this is a number that's only increasing. And a lot of it has to do with economics, family, uh, like parents, moms and dads getting jobs far away. Earlier uh, retirement age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of it. There are several reasons why this is happening. But like a like Kristen said, a big part of it is the fact that it's already sort of ingrained in their culture that grandparents are probably going to help take care of kids. Yeah. And the story in the Atlantic is framed around uh, this grandmother 
who goes, she does a double, double duty. Uh, in the morning, she goes and takes care of her son and daughter-in-law's kids because both parents work from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. And then after they get home, then she heads over to her other son's house to take care of their kids. And the grandmother talks about how she sees it as her duty to support their career trajectories. And that does stand out in the way that it's not just supporting her son's career trajectories and also her daughter's-in-law's career trajectories as well. Right. And so what I thought was so interesting, especially considering how much Chris and I have talked about issues of women in the workplace and lean in, lean in gets called out specifically in this article by these women. The daughter in law um, of this this um, grandmother who's being focused on talks about how like, yeah, you know, it would be great if I could go into work and just say, look, I want my quality family time just as much as I want my quality career time. But she's like, I can't lean in. And so thank goodness I have my husband's mom here to help me take care of these kids to when I when I can't be there. And she talked about how her own mother, who no longer lives in China, now lives in Los Angeles, has become very Americanized and doesn't want the responsibility of taking care of grandkids. Well, because there is a difference between, you know, American grandparents stereotypically being more hands off in the Mm -hmm. sense that we don't expect them to automatically live with their kids or in this case, serve as daily daycare for their grandchildren. Um, And that was a process that really started to happen more so in the 50s when you get more urbanization and sort of part of that whole American dream thing of, having your house, having your family, and then seeing your kids off and they go out and get their own houses and their own families. And then you have this fabulous thing called retirement. And while it might have a little bit of emptiness syndrome, you're alone and hurrah, and then you're going to go retire in Florida. Right. And so it is more since the post-war period is more ingrained in our culture that you have the nuclear family, which is literally just mom, dad, and the kiddos, grandma and grandpa are somewhere else. Um, But, you know... In China, it's interesting because as they industrialize more and more, they're also seeing this rise in families splitting up. So it's it's just interesting to look at all the factors in play. But one of the things that they talk about in this article, too, speaking of leaning in and people in business, is that 51 percent of senior management positions in China are held by women. Half of the world's female self-made billionaires are from China. A lot of women are in these high power, high paying positions, whereas in America we have, you know, we can't even get paid for maternity leave, you know, and it's like so in terms of of leaning in and being successful and having having it all, quote unquote, nobody can really have it all. But Chinese women certainly seem like their career trajectories are skyrocketing in comparison And a lot of these women do attribute it to the presence of their, you know, grandmothers in particular taking care of the kids, because then you don't have to worry about the cost of childcare. You don't worry, have to worry about finding daycare. There are even grandparent schools that apparently have popped up all over China (laughs) teaching grandparents things such as how to stand up to your whining grandchild (laughs) and also teaching them how to understand uh, Internet technology. But there's still, though, this issue, I think, 
it has to be in China and the U.S. alike, where you have this massive aging older population, mm-hmm. but you also have all of these kids. And so it's almost at like the, both the bottom and top rungs of society age wise that we have this massive need in the U.S. for affordable child care, quality child care, daycare, et cetera. And in the top, we have this ever growing you know, baby boomer aging population mm-hmm. that also, as they get older, is needing their own daycare. So that sort of ties me back, at least, to Linda Freed over at Columbia University saying, hey, you know what? Let's apply the grandmother hypothesis to modern day society. Let's mm-hmm. link up these kids and these grandmothers. And it's potentially a win win. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're looking at it from that healthy perspective of like, we're doing this willingly and we're going to benefit each other. And I'm a giving, loving grandmother who's going to take care of little Timmy while mom's at work. I think that has a lot of benefits. But as we've talked about, I think when you're sort of forced together because of traumatic family situations. (sighs) Well, and there are probably understandably situations, too, when grandmothers and grandfathers alike have raised their kids and they don't care to raise any more kids like seeing kids on the you know their grandchildren on holidays is fine but doing it every single day and having to be a parent again when you're a bit older i know that's not an appealing proposition for all the grandparents out there but i think there could still be still be more on a community by Mm -hmm. community basis of at least maybe more programs set up for that kind of... Totally. I love the idea of that program bringing grandparents into schools because, you know, that one study that you talked about from 2009 showing that, you know, kids who have close relationship with their grandparents have greater respect for their grandparents' views and opinions and existence. And so I think, and then that could be extrapolated outward to the rest of society, you know, if if we're getting all lofty and everything. But I mean, I, I think that's great to to get more interaction to not only help kids develop a healthy respect for their elders, but also to give our elders purpose. I know, like I said, you know, my grandfather lost his purpose. And so I don't know that he would have wanted to go into a school and help kids, but he wanted to stay involved with everything around him. And so I don't know, maybe maybe that could be something that could really help us. Well, I'm just saying, if there needs to be some kind of public awareness campaign for this, just you, I mean, the grandmother hypothesis is, I mean, there, there's your marketing right there. Tubers. Tubers. No, I mean, if you want a tagline, oh, hey, kids, you like your big old brains? Think grandma. Yeah. Done. Go go play with grandma and thank her for your giant brains. The fact <laughs> that you don't have to be so scared of dying at 32 because we live long. Thanks to her. That's right. Okay, that might be a little bit of an aggressive, too aggressive of an approach. We'll soft. We'll work on the language. We'll, we'll soften, soften the it. message. We'll soften it. Maybe we'll add a, you know, picture of a of a plate co- of cookies. Cookie, yeah. Too. But but now we want to hear from listeners about their grandmothers, their grandparents. Do you or have you lived with a grandparent? And what is the role of the grandparent or grandparents like in your family? Let us know your thoughts. And hey, if there are any grandparents listening to us, happy Grandparents Day. And That's right. thanks for being awesome. And write to us too, because we'd like to hear from you as well. Momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. And you can also tweet us at Momstuff Podcast or message us on Facebook. 
And we got a couple of messages to share with you right now. So we've got a couple letters here about our Science of BFFs episode. And this one is from Abby, who writes, Your podcast on the science of best friendship came at a fitting time since my BFF, Allison, got married August 18th. I'm immensely blessed to have a lifetime best friend. We've been pals since I came into the world 27 years ago, several weeks after she was born. Our moms became friends when they were pregnant with us, and our entire families have been friends ever since, second families to each other. Our brothers have been close all their lives as well. We went to school together, grew up in the same church, were college roommates, traveled to Europe together. You get the picture. Growing up, we were regularly called by each other's names, and we had more than one of those best friend necklaces you mentioned. Allison introduced me to Stuff Mom Never Told You, and we enjoy connecting over the podcast, like your episodes on the DIY revival of craft. She has been amazingly artistic, taking after her parents, and creates for a living. Her handmade felted decor can be found at House of Moss on Etsy. Shameless plug. She married her love, Eric, this week, and to our delight, wore mine, now our, wedding dress. And would you believe it fit perfectly? Yes, it was meant to be. The honor was all mine to be her maid of honor, and the wedding was just right. So meaningful, beautiful, and fun. Her husband, Eric, is a terrific man who supports her well. I love them both dearly. Would you give Allison and Eric a celebratory marriage shout-out on the podcast? It would delight them and me. So here you go, Allison and Eric. Congratulations on your nuptials. And to Allison and Abby, congratulations as well on your lifetime of BFF ship. It's very sweet. That's so sweet. And you, they shared a wedding dress. You found your person. I know. I love that. I love friend soulmates. They're stories. like a deli penguins, but friends. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have wings. No. They can't fly also, which is also similar to penguins. But yeah. anyway, so I have a letter here from Lauren who said that towards the end of our podcast about BFFs, we mentioned that women should also look for female friends outside of their age window. And she says, I couldn't agree more. One of my best female friends is over 65, and I don't know what I would do without her. Right out of college, I landed a job teaching middle school English at a prestigious private school in North Carolina. I was seven hours from my parents, three hours from my boyfriend, now fiance, and I literally only knew one person in the city where I lived. A few weeks into my job, the school's administrative assistant asked me if I would house sit and take care of her aging, adorable husky. And thus, a friendship was born. We have shared countless bottles of wine together, helped one another with our respective guy problems, and she even threw a bridal shower for me. I recently relocated to Dallas, Texas, so my fiancé and I can attend law and medical school. Saying goodbye to my friend was definitely full of tears. My friend, or my North Carolina mom, as I like to call her, still talk weekly. I strongly encourage young women, especially those who have just relocated, to keep an open mind when looking for new female friends. The next classy older woman you come across might be your new best friend. Plus, they can definitely teach you how to pick an excellent bottle of wine and how to arrange a rocking bouquet of flowers. Ah, so thanks, Lauren. That was a great email. Both great emails. We get so many great emails. And if you want to send us a great email, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is where you can do it. And for links to all of our social media, blog posts, videos, and podcasts, there's one place to go, and it's stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 